0: Chapter 16 of Ticonderoga by George Payne Rainsford James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 16. Slowly up the steep middle street of Albany walked the great, powerful form of the Woodchuck about the hour of noon. He was clothed in his usual shaggy habiliments of the forest, with his rifle on his shoulder, his hatchet, and his knife in his belt. His steps had none of the light activity, however, of former times, and his face, which always had a grave and sedate air, was now covered with heavy gloom. Altogether, he was a very singular-looking man, but, though situated inland and in one of the most central situations of the provinces, the streets of Albany, from time to time, presented so many strange figures of different kinds, what between Indians, Negroes, half-breeds, scouts, soldiers, sailors, Dutchmen, Englishmen and Hunters, that the wanderer, however odd his appearance, attracted very little attention as he went. Slowly he found his way up to the gates of the fort and easily obtained admission to the person he sought. He found him in a mere barrack-room, with the simplest possible furniture and no ornament whatever to distinguish it as the dwelling of a man of distinction. The little camp-bed in one corner of the room the plain deal table, not even painted, at which he sat writing, the two or three hard wooden stools without backs were all such as might have been used in a camp or carried with an army without adding much to the impedimenta. And yet there was something about the young nobleman himself which instantly informed a visitor that he was in the presence of no common man. He turned his head as Woodchuck entered and as soon as he perceived who it was he nodded saying immediately immediately and resumed his writing captain brooks drew a stool to some distance and fixed his eyes first of all upon the young soldier seeming to examine his countenance and form with great care he then turned to another person whom the room contained and scanned him with great accuracy that person was an indian if one might judge by complexion and features and yet he was dressed like one of the followers of the British army. The sort of hunting-tunic he wore was not the ordinary a or Indian shirt, but a mere sort of cloth frock with sleeves fastened round his waist by a leathern belt. It was of a peculiar colour, then very much worn both by men and women, of the hue of dead leaves and called filimot. And on his head he wore a curious sort of cap of untanned leather, "'much of the same hue. "'It was certainly a well-devised dress "'for the purpose of concealing a wanderer "'through the woods in the autumn season. "'But, as I have before said, "'it was assuredly not Indian, "'and the long hair, though black as jet, "'with a slight shading of moustache upon the upper lip, "'showed that in all probability "'there was some white blood in his veins, "'though not at all apparent on the surface.' The man had much of the Indian impassable gravity, however, and though he must have seen that he was undergoing a very severe scrutiny by the eyes of Woodchuck, no movement of any of the muscles of the face betrayed his consciousness, and he remained still and statue-like, with his gaze turned earnestly forward upon Lord H. The young nobleman soon concluded his letter, and, beckoning the man up, placed it in his hands with some money, "'Take that to Mr. Prevost,' he said, "'and tell him, moreover, that I shall myself be up to-morrow, "'before nightfall.' "'Stay a moment,' said Woodchuck. "'I may have something to say, too, that will make changes. "'I guess the half-breed had better wait outside a bit.' "'Go down to the guardroom,' said Lord H., "'turning to the man, and wait there till I send for you.' "'Then, giving an inquiring look to Woodchuck, he added, "'He tells me he can reach Mr. Prevost's house this night "'if he sets out at once.' "'To be sure he can,' answered Woodchuck. "'If he's the man I believe him to be, he'd go half as far again.' The runner took not the slightest notice of the conversation regarding himself and his own powers, nor indeed of the sort of intimation of recognition uttered by Captain Brooks. "'Is not your name Proctor?' said Woodchuck at last. "'I guess it be, though your age, since I saw you.' The other merely nodded his head, And Woodchuck continued, with a sort of grunt of satisfaction. "'That'll do. He can speak, my lord, though he never do, except at very rare times. Them Injun devils are as silent as snakes themselves, but this man beats them all. I travelled some two hundred miles with him, ten year or more agone, and never heard the sound of his voice in the whole way but once, and then he said three words and a half and stopped. "'I know he can speak,' said Lord H., "'for he told me how long he would take to go. "'Go down, Mr. Proctor, as I told you, "'and wait in the guard-room. "'You shall hear from me in a minute.' "'He runs like a deer,' said Woodchuck, "'as the man left the room. "'But his way is generally to jog on "'at a darnation-swinging sort of rate, "'which doesn't seem to trouble his shanks at all. "'A sort of trot, like "'carries him through everything and over everything, "'brambles and bushes and hills and stones and rocks, "'land or water all the same.' I do believe he'd trot across the Hudson without much knowing or caring what was anything. The Indians call him Munguoka, but his father's father was an Englishman. We call him Proctor. "'But he can be relied upon?' asked Lord H. "'He was recommended to me very strongly by General Webb, who employed him upon some difficult service.' Woodchuck paused. "'Webb's recommendation,' he said at length, "'is not worth much.' for what would any give for any word out of the mouth of a man who would suffer a gallant comrade to fall and a noble garrison to be butchered without striking one stroke or moving one step to their assistance but if i recollect right this proctor is the runner who contrived to get through montcalm's army and all the savage devils that were with him and carried poor munro's dispatches to webb what became of the other one nobody knows "'but I guess we could find his scalp if we sought well amongst the Hurons. "'Yes, this must be the man, I think, and if it be, you couldn't find a better. "'At all events, you can trust him for holding his tongue, "'and that's something in a runner. "'He wouldn't get up words enough in ten years to tell any secrets you wanted to keep. "'And now, General, I've come to talk with you about what's to be done, "'and I think we had better settle that before the man goes.' He'll get to Prevost tonight if he stays these two hours, and I guess we can settle sooner than that, for I've thought the matter over and made up my mind. And to what conclusion have you come? asked Lord H. Brooks looked down and rubbed his great hands upon his knees for a moment, as if he hesitated to give the resolution he had formed, after so painful a struggle, the confirmation of uttered words. Not a pleasant one, he said at length, not one easily hit upon my lord but the only one after all the only one i had a sore tussle with the devil last night and he's a strong enemy but i beat him manful hand to hand he and i together and no one to help either of us the young nobleman thought that his poor friend's wits were beginning to wander a little and to lead him back from the diabolical encounter he spoke of he said changing the subject abruptly "'I suppose I could send no one better than this man, Proctor.' "'I'll tell you what it is, Lord H,' answered Woodchuck. "'I must go myself. "'There's no one can save Walter Prevost but Brooks. "'He's the man who must do it.' "'And do you think it possible?' asked Lord H, "'seeing the great probability of his companion himself "'being captured by the Indians, "'and yet hesitating whether he ought to say a word "'to deter him from his purpose.' "'I do think it possible,' said Woodchuck, with a grim smile. "'For you see, if these Indians get the man they want, "'they can't and daren't take another.' "'Lord H. grasped the rough hand of the hunter, "'saying in a tone of much feeling, "'You are indeed a noble-hearted man, Captain Brooks, "'if I understand you rightly, "'to go and give yourself up to these savages to save your young friend.' "'Nobody could venture to propose such a thing to you "'because his having fallen into their hands "'was not your fault, "'and life is dear to everyone, but—' "'Stay, stay, stay,' cried Woodchuck. "'Don't get along too fast. "'You've said two or three things already "'that want an answer. "'As to life, it is dear to everyone, "'and I myself am such a fool "'that I'd rather by a good bit "'go lingering on here "'amongst all this smoke and dirt.' And dull houses and rogues innumerable, than walk up there and be tomahawked, which is but the matter of a moment after all for them Indians isn't long about their works, and do it completely, howsoever one always clings to hope, and so I think that if I can get up there amongst the woods and trails I know so well, I may perhaps find out some means of saving the poor boy and my own life too, and if I can, I'll do it for I'm not going to throw away my life like a bad shilling. If I can't do it, why then I'll save his life, cost what it will. I shall soon know all about it when I get up there, for the squaws are all good, kind-hearted critters, and if I can get hold of one of them, she'll be my scout soon enough, and fish out the truth for me as to where the boy is, and when they are going to make the sacrifice.' "'Lord bless you, they set about these things, then Indians, "'just as orderly as a trial at law. "'They'll do nothing in a hurry, "'and so I shall have time to look about and see what's to be done "'without risking Walter's life in the meanwhile. "'Then, you see, my lord, I've got this great advantage. "'I shall have a walk or two in my own haunts among them beautiful woods. "'The snow will be out by that time, "'and to my mind there's no season when the woods look "'and the air feels so fresh and free.' as on a wintry day, with the ground all white and wreaths of snow upon every vine and briar, and them great big hemlocks and pines rising up like black giants all around me. Some folks don't like the winter in the woods, but I could walk on or go on in a sleigh through them forever. Why, that month among the woods, if I'm not caught sooner, would be worth ever so many weeks in this dull, dirty place, or any other city, "'For Albany, I take it, is as good as most of them, and perhaps better.' "'But I am afraid in the winter your plan of getting information "'would not succeed very well,' said Lord H. "'In the first place the Indian women are not likely to go very far from their wigwams, "'amongst which you would hardly venture, "'and in the next place your feet would be easily tracked in the snow, "'for these Indians, I am told, are most cunning and pertinacious hunters, "'and will follow any tracks they see for miles and miles.' "'I've dodged an Injun afore now,' said Captain Brooks, with a look of some self-importance. "'And in the snow, too. I've got the very snowshoes I did it in. I can walk in my snowshoes either way, one as well as t'other, and so I made em believe that I was going east when I was going west, and going west when I was going east. Sometimes I had the shoes on the right way, and sometimes the wrong, so they couldn't make nothing of it.' And they think still, for Lord help you, they are sometimes as simple as children, that the devil must have given me a lift now and then. For when I got where the trees grew thick together so that the big branches touched, and I could catch a great bough over my head by a spring, I would get up and climb along from one to another like a bear or squirrel, sometimes two or three hundred yards before I came down again. I saw a set of them once upon the trail, and when they came to where the track stopped, they got gaping up the tree with their rifles in their hands, as if they were looking after a painter. But I was a hundred yards off or more, and quite away from the right line. Then, as to the women, I've thought about that, and I've laid a plan in, in case I can't get hold of any of the women. Now, I'm going to tell you something very strange, my lord. You've heard of Freemasons, I dare say. Lord H nodded his head with a smile, and Woodchuck continued. Well, they've got Freemasons among the Indians. That's to say, not exactly Freemasons, but what comes much to the same thing, people who have got a secret among themselves and who are bound to help each other in good or evil, in the devil's work or God's, against their own nation or their own tribe or their own family, and who, on account of some deviltry or other, dare not, for the soul of them, refuse what a brother asks them. It's a superstition at the bottom of it, "'and it's very strange, but so it is.' "'While he had been speaking, "'he had unfastened his coat at the collar, "'drawn his arm out of the sleeve "'and bared it up above the elbow, "'where there appeared a small blue line "'tattooed on the brown skin. "'There,' he said, "'there's the mark.' "'You do not mean to say "'that you are one of this horrible association?' "'asked Lord H, with a grave look. "'Not exactly that,' "'answered Woodchuck.' and as to its being a horrible association or not, that's as folks use it. It may be for bad, and it may be for good, and there are good men amongst them. I am a sort of half-and-half member, and I'll tell you how it happened. I went once in the winter up into the woods to hunt moose by a place where there's a warm spring which melts the snow and keeps the grass fresh, and the big beasts come down to drink and mayhap eat too. Well, as soon as I got there, I saw that someone had been before me, for I saw tracks all about and a sort of stable in the snow, made for the moose, such as hunters often make to get a number together and to shoot them down when they heard it. There were moose tracks, too, and some blood in the snow, and I thought that the Indians had killed some and scared the rest away. I was going back by another trail when I came upon an old man lying partly against a basswood tree, just as quiet as if he was a corpse, and I should have thought he was dead, as a statue, if I hadn't seen his shining eyes move as I passed. Never a word did he say, and he'd have lain there and died outright rather than call for help. But I went up to him and found the old critter had been poked terribly by a moose, all about his chest and shoulders, so I built up a little hut for him with boughs and covered it over with snow and made it quite snug and warm. I took him in and nursed him there and as I was well stocked with provisions parched corn and dry meat and such like I shared with him. I couldn't leave the poor old critter there to die you know my lord and so I stayed with him all the time and we got a couple of deer and fine venison steaks we had of them and at last at the end of five weeks he was well enough to walk. By that time we had got quite friendly together and I went down with him to his lodge and spent the rest of the winter with him. I had often enough remarked a blue line tattooed upon his arm, and sometimes he would say one thing about it and sometimes another, for these Injuns be like parrots. But at last he said he would tattoo a line on my arm, and when he had done it he told me it was the best service he could render me in return for all those I had rendered him. He said that if I ever met any of the five nations tattooed like that and spoke a word which he taught me, they would help me against their own father's. He told me something about them, and about their set, but he would not tell me all. I was quite a young lad then, and the old man died the next year, for I went to see him, and found him just as the last gasp. I have heard a good deal about those people, however, since, from other injuns, who all have a dread of them, and call them the children of the devil. So I take care not to show my devil's mark amongst them, and I have never had need to use it till now. "'How will it serve you now?' asked Lord H, "'not at all liking or confiding in the support of such men.' "'Well, if I can get speech of one of them, "'even for an instant,' replied Woodchuck, "'I can get together a band of the only men "'who will go against the superstitions of their people "'and help me to set the poor boy free, "'and they will do it, whether they be tortoises or bears "'or wolves or snipes or stags.' "'What? What?' exclaimed Lord H, in utter amazement, "'I do not understand what you mean.' "'Only names of their totems "'or tribes, my lord,' "'answered Brooks. "'These Indians are queer people. "'You must not judge of them "'or deal with them "'as you would other men, "'and these are the only critters "'amongst them I could get to help me, "'if their habits came in the way "'the least bit. "'Now you know, "'though I may do something by myself, "'I may not be able to do all. "'If I am to get the boy out "'of the hole where they have doubtless hid him, I have to find it out first, and to make sure that we are not followed and overtaken afterward. I would fain save my life if I can, my lord,' he continued, looking up in the face of his noble companion, with a sort of appealing look. "'I think a man has a right to do that if he can.' "'Assuredly,' replied Lord H, "'the love of life is implanted in us by God himself, and all which can be expected of us by our country or our fellow man is in readiness to sacrifice it.' when called on to do so. But now, my good friend, I have another plan to propose. It is probable that hostilities have ceased for this year, and since I saw you last night, a small party of the scouts which you know we always have in pay has been put at my disposal for the very purpose we have in view. They are all acquainted with wood warfare, with Indian habits, and with the art of tracking an enemy or a friend.' "'Would it not be better for you "'to have these six men with you "'to give you assistance in case of need? "'Your own life, at all events, "'would be more secure.' "'I think not,' answered Woodchuck musingly. "'They might cumber me. "'No, my lord, I had better go alone. "'As for my own life, "'I may as well tell you at once "'I have made up my mind to save the boy or lose it. "'The devil put it hard to me "'that it was no fault of mine he was trapped, "'that my life was as good to me as his was to him.' and a great deal more. But knowing it does not do to stand parleying with that gentleman, I said, Peter Brooks, it is your fault, for if you had not shot the engine, Walter would never have been taken. Your life is not as good to you or anybody else as his is to him and all the world. He's quite a lad, and a young lad too, with many a bright year before him. You'll never see forty-eight again, and what shall fag end worth to anyone? Not a stiver, "'answered Conscience. "'And so I resolved to go. "'Now, as to these men, "'some of them are capital good fellows "'and might help me a good deal "'when once I'm in the thick of the business. "'But seven men can't get altogether "'into the Oneida country "'without being found out. "'But I'll tell you what, my lord, "'if you'll let me place them where I want, "'one by one, in different places, "'and they slip into the country quietly, "'one at a time, "'they may do good service "'and not be discovered.' "'Will it not be dangerous so to divide your force?' asked Lord H. Injun ways with Indian people,' answered Woodchuck. "'But I don't think you understand the thing, my lord. "'You see, through a great part of this Injun territory, "'we English have built a little fort here, and a little fort there, "'all the way up the shores of Ontario, "'where they made sad work of it last year at Oswego. "'Well, if I stow away these scouts at different posts, "'the nearest I can to Anida Creek,' They will be only at arm's length and can stretch out their hand to help whenever they're called upon. They'll be able to get in one by one, too, quite easily, for I've a great notion some of these Indians have got a spite at Walter and are not very likely to look for anyone in his place. If they caught me, they'd be obliged to have me, and if the scouts went all together, they'd stop them, for they don't like their number. But one at a time, they'll pass well enough.' "'if they understand their business, which is to be supposed.' "'I see your plan now,' said Lord H, "'and perhaps you are right. "'You can concentrate them upon any point very rapidly. "'They shall be sent for and put under your command this very day.' "'No need of command,' answered Woodchuck. "'Scouts don't like to be commanded, "'and if they don't help with a good will, better not help at all. "'Just tell them what I'm about. "'Let them know that a young man's life is at stake.' And they'll work well for me if they're worth a penny. And now, my lord, you call up that man Proctor and send him off to Prevost's house. Call him up here, call him up here. I've got this large powder horn I want to send back, though it's a doubt whether the man can muster words enough to tell who it comes from, and I must get him to do so, one way or another. I can take it tomorrow myself, said Lord H. But Woodchuck shook his head. That won't do, he said with a shrewd look. "'The runner must take it. "'He'll tell Prevost before some of his negroes, "'and the negroes will tell any injuns that are prowling about. "'And so it will get around that I've left the hunting grounds for good, "'and I shall slip in the more easily. "'Always think of everything you can, "'and if you can't do that, think of as much as possible. "'A hunter's life makes one mighty cautious. "'I'm as careful as an old raccoon "'who always looks nine ways before he puts his nose out of his hole.' Lord H. called up the runner, and into his hands was delivered the powder-horn for Mr. Prevost, with Woodchuck's message repeated over and over again, with manifold injunctions not to forget it. "'Tell him I took it that unlucky day I shot the Injun," said Woodchuck, "'and I don't like to keep what's not my own. It's nearly as good as stealing, if not quite. There, Mr. Proctor, you can get up words enough to say that, can't you?' The man nodded his head and then turned to the door without any further reply, beginning his peculiar sort of trot before he reached the top of the stairs, and never ceasing it till he arrived at the door of Mr. Prevost's house. In the meanwhile, Lord H. made Captain Brooks stay to partake of his own very frugal dinner, while the scouts were being collected and brought to the fort. They came about two o'clock, ready prepared, at least in part, for what was to follow for in the little town of Albany such an adventure as had befallen Walter Prevost was a matter of too much interest not to spread to every house and to be told at every fireside. Most of the men, accustomed to continual action and enterprise of various kinds, were very willing to go, with the prospect of a fair reward before them. Life was so often periled with them, dangers and difficulties so often encountered, that existence without activity was rather a burden than otherwise. Each probably had his selfishness of some kind, but only one, in whom it took the form of covetousness, thought fit to inquire what was to be his recompense beyond the mere pay for his uncovenanted service.' "'Your recompense will be nothing at all,' answered Woodchuck at once, "'without waiting for Lord H. to speak. "'I won't have you with me. "'The man who can try to drive a bargain when a brave boy's life is at stake "'is not fit to have a share with us. "'There, go along and knit petticoats. "'You may get a dollar apiece for them. "'That's the sort of winter work fit for you.' "'The man shrunk sullenly out of the room, "'and all other matters were soon settled with his companions.' The method of their entrance into the Oneida Territory, the different routes they were to take, and the points where they were to halt till called upon, were all arranged by woodchuck with a sort of natural military skill, which was more than once displayed by the American people during after wars. The part of the nobleman who was present was merely to listen and give some letters to officers commanding different posts, but he listened well pleased and attentively for his was a mind always eager to acquire information and direction from the experience of others, and the insight which he gained into the habits of the new people amongst whom he was, might have been highly serviceable to others as well as himself, had not a sort of pedantry prevailed amongst the older officers in the British army at that time, and for many succeeding years, which prevented them from adapting their tactics to the new situations in which they were placed. Wolfe was a splendid exception, But Wolfe was a young man, coming in the dawning of a better day, and even had he not been so, it is probable that his genius, like that of Wellington, would have shown him that he was now to make rules rather than to observe them. As soon as the scouts were gone, Woodchuck rose to take his leave, and as Lord H shook him very warmly by the hand, the good man said, in a tone of strong feeling, "'Thank you, my lord, for all your kindness. You'll be glad to know I feel very happy.' and I'll tell you why. I'm doing something, and I'm doing my duty. End of chapter 16